0: Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. I was so thrilled to have Monique Mulligan back on the podcast, this time for a one-on-one as she preps to re-release her beautiful book, Wildflower, which is out again on the 10th of August. In this episode, we get into quite a few themes that I know a lot of writers struggle with, the highs and lows of being a working writer. So tune in, and I hope you get some little hints or some validation about the experiences you have. Enjoy. Monique Mulligan is an author, interviewer, and founder of the Stories on Stage and Prose and Convos programs in Perth. A former journalist, news editor, and publisher, she combines part-time work at an art center with freelance editing and novel writing. Her debut novel, Wherever You Go, was published in September 2020, and her second novel, Wildflower, in March 2022. She is currently working on her third novel. Monique has had essays and short stories published in several anthologies, most recently Reflections on Our Relationships with Anne of Green Gables, Kindred Spirits, published by Cambridge Scholars Publishing, and South of the Sun, Australian Fairy Tales for the 21st Century. When she's not working, you will usually find Monique A, writing, B, reading, C, cooking, and D, taking photos for her cat's Instagram page. When she's socializing, she's usually behind a camera or in a corner hanging out with the other introverts and making mental notes for stories. I'm super excited to have mm-hmm. you on the podcast again, Monique. You. I'm so excited. And especially to be talking specifically about this book. We were just talking before the recording about the fact that it was originally published and now it's going to be re-released, hopefully on a much wider distribution, which yeah. means more people can know about it. And I'm just going to dive in because I've been chomping at the bit <laughs> about <laughs> talking about there, these are really important themes that you have in this book. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know, yeah, I was going to say, I know that last time you were on the podcast, we were discussing sort of the benefits or some of the differences in introducing themes when your primary character is at a younger age. And yeah. I absolutely loved Jane and she's a similar age to my daughter my daughter's birthday is in December, my daughter will be 11. (laughs) So I really had this sort of younger energy, but then you have dual timelines. So maybe even if we answered it on the last podcast, can you talk to me a little bit about one other than how did the, the topic is everywhere? to be honest, the theme is Mm -hmm. really about domestic violence in homes and sort of how it progresses through generations. And part of the problem that you raise too is, especially the way it used to be, but it's still really a problem now. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, don't, you know, that's not our business. Mm -hmm. Even if I hear something and it's right there, that's private business. So how did it come up for you that this was what you were going to tackle in the book? And then secondarily, how did you decide the main voice? was going to be this girl who's what did they say? Ten and three quarters, as little kids are
1: (laughs) want to do. So so Close yeah. Yeah. I think how I came up with it was originally came up as a short story and just feeling like that was a theme I wanted to explore. So the character was always there. That young narrator was always there from the beginning and that was because I felt that young children often are so badly affected by what happens when there's family and domestic violence but their voices aren't really heard and we see the after effects of what happens we we hear about them we see that some people go on to pass on these same behaviors and some behave differently because of what they've learned and I felt so I don't know Led to to writing from the perspective of a young girl yeah. to really try to get people to see that. I think we know that children are are affected. Of course, we know this in our head, but I wanted them to actually feel what it's like to be a child, to be seeing this kind of thing happening and yeah. not knowing what to do and who to turn to and feeling the burden and the weight of of knowing something's bad bad's happening, but feeling so not listened to. Yeah. in that situation and that's just, it. I was just so driven to explore that that I just kept on going with it, even when I felt
0: like giving up many times. Okay. I can't imagine, I mean, I can't imagine it as a short story, but Mm. as you obviously felt, it's so rich Mm. that there was so much more to say. Mm. I'm not going to spoil it. So on the podcast, we don't generally spoil twists. I try not to do that. There's a pretty big twist. You have a question that is unanswered Mm. as part of this dual timeline and who is, who, is the reader engaging with? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very, very clever. And you definitely left it right up until the end. <laughs> but there were enough similarities. But in fact, I feel like the twist that you eventually revealed is indicative of how pervasive mm-hmm. this problem is, and mm-hmm. how the ripples are much further or reach much further than we thought because what we're also talking about is that intergenerational sort of like how it gets passed down by either whether we as the main protagonist is Jane, 10 and three quarters, and she's dealing with being kind of on the periphery. And I was thinking about this is what was so clever about using that age. They're starting to get old enough to, to we'll just use uh, sense of humor and sarcasm as an example they're starting to at that age hear some of that nuance mm. but they and even if they knew for example about the birds and the bees they can't contextually they don't know so you could know facts I was told how babies are made but it sort of doesn't come all together and some of that is also the time period you said it in the late 70s which is part of what I wanted to raise with you and and I guess, commend you for being able to do this in your book, but I'll say that in a minute. But because of that time period too, I grew up in the seventies and parents didn't talk about that stuff Mm -hmm. or especially during the day, it was definitely the time where you could go out and ride your bikes And come home when the, you know, street lights turn on and you you've set it in a cul-de-sac. And so there are people who do get along and people who don't get along, but this very carefully constructed ecosystem of the neighborhood. You even have these side characters that come in that. Are so real to life to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in Australia, obviously, in the seventies, but in the US, it wasn't vastly different in terms Mm -hmm. of the overall feel of it. So there was more freedom and yet less explicit talking about Mm -hmm. things, if that makes sense, because we were trying to still remain, I don't know, sort of protected, especially mm-hmm. the kids. Like, let's protect the kids. Let's not talk about it. And so she's going through some changes then, but she doesn't quite comprehend. She's mm-hmm. very body-driven too. I was really impressed with that, the way that you had her discovering things and you were very anchored in the body, which will lead me to what I really wanted to say is I had this experience and I don't have it with all books. I felt weird walking around in my normal day to day once I got into the book because I felt out of time. Like I literally felt like the everything just feels weird to me right now because yeah. I was so enveloped mm. in the environment you created and obviously supported by my own memories but how did with the topic, you knew you wanted to talk about and you had the short story. So was that it? it was just the short story came to you or the the jumping off point for sort of exploring the themes mm. and what Jane was going to discover and see or not and sort of come into her own her own right as she's coming into mm-hmm. year six. Was it always set in the 70s? Does her age align with your age at that mm-hmm. time? Is that what made you well, set it then?
1: Yeah, look, great question, and 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 thank you for for your compliment on 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 how you felt actually so immersed in in what you were reading. that's huge. I feel really, you know, that that's a lovely warm thing to feel right now because. Oh, good. Uh, I had a lot of fun actually going into the seventies and going back to the seventies, if you like, and trying to you know find out all these little details that would make it so rich and real. So to know that it worked is, is
0: a- oh, it totally did. Yes, yeah. I um, mean just things people did, what they used. I mean, looking at like I knew. So it's also this is how I read books anyway. Is I'm in it. And I'm analyzing it in a, not in a critical way, but just in all the dinners that her mom Barb made Mm -hmm. were so (laughs) seventies, you know, desserts, the, Mm -hmm. the, the lollies they would get from the milk bar, all Mm -hmm. of these different things were so well-placed and even how the kids acted and behaved was so perfect. So I can see it as being fun, actually yeah. going back and saying what fits at this right time yeah. for the 70s. So well done. Thank you. And
1: and I guess yes, it was always set in that time. I did grow up in the 70s. Um Jane would be, I would say three years older than I am. And yeah. without,
0: no, I mean I, <laughs> yes, I, out there. I think she was a bit <laughs> older than I'm me proud. too. Yeah, she was older than I'm me. Let's be proud. I'm 51, okay. <laughs> 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 look,
1: she's, Jane, Jane was a couple of years older than than I would have been at that time, and I, you know, have I, I grew up in that time where my my parents were they got divorced when I was eight years old, so I went through that feeling of being a parent, a, a child with a single mum, and you know, what does that feel like in the seventies? 70- uh-huh. So there were were different stories that I would hear about on the street and things that I noted. And so placing it there to write a child character seemed like a very natural decision to make for me because for a start I knew that this was a time where people did say things like this is none of your business and boys will be boys, they still do this. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're very much focused on what happens in our house, stays in our house and, and that kind of thing. But I also remember what it was like to be, say, you know, eight, nine, ten years old and growing up in the street where you knew everybody in the street and you knew some detail about everybody in the street. You know, it was Jim and June across the road. It was that's how we sat and they were the people with the nice garden and 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 roger and carol they had the pool you know they were pool people (laughs) the the, the people down they had the dogs that that barked too much and and so some some way to define the people who lived on this this little street and it's this tiny little like you said ecosystem Mm -hmm. so it seemed yeah just so natural to choose A time that I was very familiar with, although I did have to refresh certain memories and say, you know, did this really happen like that? Or, you know, am I just imagining that this happened at this time? And that, that was certainly the fun part of the research. So yeah, I think I've answered that, haven't I? Yeah,
0: I think you have. It's interesting because now, I mean, after you'd said it came from a short story, I remember you sharing that Mm. before, knowing there was more time. To be spent there as well. Mm -hmm. So we love talking process. So Mm -hmm. I would love to know, did you and especially talking about those parts where you're like sense checking or so then we we fast forward and I don't think you ever gave a year, but we know in terms of time because the character in the closer to present day, but not actually present day refers to it like twenty years ago. So yeah. that okay, we know we're just around the millennium. And did you mostly write the story and then go back and sense check? What is your process when you were writing, especially if you're teasing out a short story, did you did you, I guess, put in more details between things? Because I don't know what the short story looked like. So I don't know where it lay within this whole novel. Well
1: I think I think with the short story it was say three thousand words. And and maybe the end of this or part of the end of the story is in that short story. Right. And then, you know, part of that beginning where the two girls meet is in that story. And then okay. I've obviously, you know, done a very of just completely compressing everything <laughs> into 3,000 words. And so there are moments of that short story that still remain and then got teased out much more but then I added so much more to it yeah. it needed you know I, I was learning when I wrote that I was I, I'd I'd put a, a short story into a competition and I'd been highly commended and I think that gives you that little full okay. sense that at least your shoulders are up a little bit and yeah like, this do this. and then you do another one and you don't get anywhere with it and think oh okay. <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> what happened then and I I realized that I had a lot to learn and that became a learning project for me. So okay. it wasn't it wasn't straight away. I did put the short story into the drawer for, you know, quite a while until I was wondering what to write next. And then I got it out. And over a period of years I started to tease that idea into a full novel. And then I put it away for a year or so and work on something else and come back to it until I was really ready to, I guess go much deeper into what this story, what I wanted to say mm-hmm. and what it what it really meant to me personally to have this story out there because the two key characters are very real to me. You know, yeah. I can picture these two two girls and it, it just became a stronger and stronger feeling that I had to tell their story yeah. and get that out there. And writing that second timeline came very late in the piece that okay. was a I'd I'd written the whole book and I kept thinking there's something, it needs to go a bit deeper, there's something else I need to do with this. And it it was like, a, I I guess, a test where I thought, what if I just write about these situations, like little vignettes, and see how they go and just write them. And then as I wrote them, I started to see this thread emerging and thought I could put this in 20 years later. So it wasn't a deliberate choice back when I started to write the book. Okay. Always only in Jane's perspective. Wow! And this new like second perspective came very late, and even when I started writing that, I didn't know who that narrator was.
0: Well, look, here's yeah. something that Emma Gray has shared before, and this sort of mm-hmm. goes to. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about your process and how it's changed because I know you're back to writing something new. But do you think some of that not knowing is actually what leads even the reader? now to be Mm -hmm. in that place as I'm reading it, I'm not knowing, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. So you said, number one, the second timeline was late in the piece after it had been worked before. And it sounds like you gave yourself permission just to do writing kind of around this in these Mm. vignettes without forcing it to mean something. Mm. So you're really sort of, I don't know, collaborating with yourself a little bit and saying, I'll just go this far. And if it doesn't work, no big deal, which is when I share with writers about making friends with their internal editor, that's part of what Mm. that process is to Mm. keep the critique out of it for as much as you can so that you can get the story written. Mm-hmm. What really occurred to me as I was reading that too, and because the second timeline was 20 years, I, I shudder to say, it was like 20 years ago yes yes yeah. <laughs> but it was 20 years in the future that much time <laughs> cannot have passed mm-hmm. and i'm i just turned 50 so i feel you with all these times and i'm like wait a minute the 80s was 20 years ago that's what i say so but knowing that all of the themes that you were looking at mm-hmm. are maybe is i i don't have any stats to say it is this or that mm. it's more or less but what i would say is it is something that we still need to shine a light on like mm. the phrase and how you have the female character saying i am so sick of the phrase <laughs> boys will be boys Mm-hmm. and it yeah. still goes around there's still this that pervasive yes. thought that oh you know boys are going to be naughty and they're going to push boundaries and that's mm-hmm. all fine yeah it it isn't and i absolutely like you've got a, a whole range of standout female characters as well mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily throwing all the male characters under the bus. That could yes. be something that they would do. So maybe we'll go back. When you finally found, number one, who it was mm-hmm. that was sharing in the second POV, did you have to do a lot of changing to fit it into the story? How did that go from choosing where in the story you were going to share these vignettes because they are out of time, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was... That was an interesting process because when I first wrote those those vignettes, and some of those, there, there are parts of that that have me in there. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, yeah, definitely not all of it. But there are certain experiences. Like, there's one I can share, which is where. The character has a man come and offer to do some housework or some some gardening for her, yeah. and you know, there's that that I suppose deep inside knowledge that does he want something because he's coming to do mm-hmm. my gardening, or is he really just being a friend and telling herself that he's just doing the gardening, he's just doing the mowing, and of course, you know where this might go,
0: yeah,
1: and and that happened. So to write that was incredibly easy because it was it was like going back to my journalism days and saying. Yeah. Just write down the facts, and this is, this is how it was, and now flesh it out a little bit. When I I had the sort of got past that and had a look at those and shuffled them around, and play with them, I thought, what if it was actually, you know, if it was this character? Because I'd I sort of veered between like yeah. this one or it could be this one, and it, and it
0: was said, somebody else altogether. Yeah, and
1: I went to my husband and I said, what if? And 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 he said, oh no, no, you, you can't do that. And I went, yeah, I can. Actually, because it's actually all there. So I went back and then it was just more a matter of being very deliberate in looking back at the first timeline making sure that there was nothing that clashed with it that didn't, you know, you don't want to give it away, obviously, but Mm. you want it to, at the end, to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was a matter of very carefully reading that to make sure I did that and then going through and slotting it in. And I moved it from the positions that it's in the book now multiple times because it just you know it was making sure that that story flowed really well on its own so yeah. it was alone. and in the end I think it quite I don't know strangely where that's sort of like serendipity it was like three chapters and then one and then three chapters and then one and for most of the book that worked that's really well for me that wasn't by design at the beginning it's just
0: how it into it was just feeling it. Yeah. I think some of it too, it's really interesting when we are, allow ourselves to surrender to that instinctive place, mm-hmm. then it works itself out. Like we're always talking about, if you keep it too much up here in the head, very intellectual and conscious mind we can be over-controlling it and it can lose some of that magic. Whereas this is why we say, you know, pantsing in and of itself isn't a negative thing because it can lead to the serendipity. And that said, I know pantsers that became plotters and say they have even more magic now. So it's really a matter of getting comfortable with where you are and stretching and growing where you need to. This leads us beautifully into yeah. what I'd wanted to say because you are so generous on social media in sharing what you're going through, both the highlights as well as the the writer wobbles, mm-hmm. right? Where we're thinking, oh my God, why did I think I could do this? So tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about where you're at and maybe even just bring in We talked a little bit about it before this started, but Mm -hmm. when people might be able to get their hands on Wildflower and you've got another novel coming out Mm -hmm. pretty soon after that, how, what's the time range between Wildflower release and then the next one? So
1: Wildflower is out on the 10th of August. Okay. Wherever you go, which was previously released through Koyara Press as well, that will be out, I think it is October 19th. Okay. Wow.
0: Okay, really quick. They'll be there. So you got, you can binge.
1: Um. Uh, Yeah. And look, I didn't have to change anything. So it made that process very easy because I didn't have to change, you know, there was was nothing to do with edits. Um, Oh, amazing. They were very happy with with the quality of, of how it was when they got that because, I mean, it had already gone through all of that. So, yeah,
0: I would no. say, too, because uh Bloodhound books, if I'm remembering right, they're based in the UK. Yes. But yeah. they will be used to pretty much all of the language. So there really mm. isn't even terminology that they would necessarily change because it's yeah. understandable. and. This is a conversation that lots of Australian writers might have, Mm -hmm. but even for those in the US. And one thing that I would say is I understand when, depending on where the publisher is based, when they want to change certain vernacular, Mm -hmm. but as a reader, I have to say, I always enjoyed the impetus to look things up and find out what things mean if I didn't know what they meant, Mm -hmm. because it added a flavor sort of. Reading an Irish writer like Cecilia or Celia See Ahern. Then, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I, just, I want that. I want to feel like I'm walking around the streets of Dublin or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm always appreciative when, especially when the location or the setting is at least a big part of the story, if not another character. And yeah. I would say, late 70s Australia feel especially if you're in and around Sydney Mm -hmm. and I've lived in Sydney and uh, I don't now but so even when they were getting on and doing a road trip oh my god the number of references you Mm -hmm. have to things that I remembered like you know having to run across we would call it blacktop and your feet are scorching no bindies in the U.S. but we would have something like birds or something yeah Yeah, like birds they they don't hurt like Mm -hmm. a bindi So (laughs) the bindi's are super special. But um, like the way that you would play at schools and instead of changing things from bubbler, to be honest, I forget Mm. sometimes what things are called in other places because I'm so Mm -hmm. used to, we would call it a drinking fountain or a water fountain in the US. I don't know if they even what they would call it in the UK, but I would guess that people can just look it up. (laughs) like if there's like if there's a big word you don't know you look it up in in the dictionary or now you know online and figure it out so that certainly helps when it comes to saving time and editing anyway
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and I was so pleased with that I was really happy that they didn't take away any of that flavor because I just think it would have diluted what I was trying to do so that was yeah that was a great thing so where am I am that now I guess you said something earlier about being so much in, in your head and trying to control the story, and I spent months in that place. After flower oh. came out, I had a, um, a minor car accident, but it broke my thumb very badly. And so this was last year. So I didn't realize how much that would affect me. And you know, you just think it's a bone, it's, it will fix. It's still not, it's still not right. But I mean about affecting me in myself. Yeah. And it really affected my confidence in a way I wasn't prepared for. I said, I remember sitting on, on the lounge one afternoon and I was on my own and I was fed up with the splint and fed up with the. The exercises and fed up with all of it, honestly, and and having a bit of a pity party for myself, which I try not to do, but I, I just felt like I needed to that day. And then I started to just write on a piece of paper about what my fears were, and you know, these these fears of having this book that had come out already last year, and getting such lovely feedback about it, but also sensing that it wasn't going to go where I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. So you have these fears of being irrelevant, of not knowing if you'll ever be able to write something that means anything again. And and some of them are rational fears, and some of them are completely irrational. And I spent a lot of time in that space from probably, you know, July last year up until about January. And in that time, I was also telling myself I had to write an up book. And yeah, I was no pressure. To, <laughs> yeah. I was really putting myself under pressure. Yeah. We had Just, you know, this expectation on myself was very, very high. And of course, readers are always asking you, when's your next book coming? I can't wait to read the next book. And that's, that's wonderful and, and feels, feels great to know that they want to read what you've written and they've connected. But sometimes you can't force it. And I felt like that's all I was doing was trying to force. A story to follow my first book, wherever you go, that wasn't going to happen. I just, I, I tried all, you know, at the end of last year, I really tried to write that story and I, I don't know, maybe I still will but I just said that it's not now. And finally I thought this is not happening, went yeah. back to another story. But then I made that mistake of really spending too much time in my head and trying to plan it out because I'd already started writing this novel a few years before also. And I had another story I wanted to bring in it. So I spent ages, like, lying awake at night, not sleeping, driving to work and plotting and, you know, thinking. It's all that thinking time about writing people don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, that is often, I'll say, writing, a lot of writing happens away from the desk. Yeah. And to give yourself credit for it, especially for people who say, I haven't been writing. Yeah. If you've been thinking about it, if you've been accidentally eavesdropping, <laughs> Jane was so brilliant yes. in the book about this and getting into lots of trouble, but mm-hmm. she was a fan of Anne of Green Gable's. And mm. I think as a keen observer, mm. <laughs> maybe getting better about not getting caught would have been yeah. the thing that she should do. But all of those things count. So here you yeah. are, you're driving and you're plotting and you're yeah. crying really yeah. hard. Is that what it felt like? Like it, you were it, efforting a lot.
1: It felt like it was just effort and there was no reward. Oh. And was—and then I felt like I had no creativity left at all. Like it was oh. just I didn't know how to find it within myself, and I try to write, and I just sit and I'd stare at the at the computer, and I think this is not happening. Um, So that that was a really a really longer period than I expected it to be. And around January, I think it was, I thought, okay, I need to try something different here because I'm not connecting with my writing at all. I'm not. I, I feel like I feel like I'm never going to do this again. And I didn't want that to be the result, but I just couldn't seem to break it. So that's when I started to, to play and to give myself permission to play. And I started to do things like blackout like poetry, which is, you know, you take a page from a, a, an old book or a magazine, whatever you have, and you black out most of the words except ones that you choose that might make. A phrase or a poem yeah. or yeah. something meaningful to you, and I really enjoy doing that. I could do that, you know, lots. <laughs> I could do that every day because you have you are able to produce something very quickly, and it might not be groundbreaking, but you've you've sat there and you've thought about it, and there's something there.
0: And yeah, like, and I mean, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and you've connected with something. Yeah, it might just be a
1: feeling I'm having. You know, it might be something to do with, I don't know, today I'm feeling invisible. And so the words that you're drawn to when you're doing that that kind of activity will lead you to some statement of that feeling. And that was quite, that was just a good way for me to play. And then I'd do other things like just go into my garden and, and garden all afternoon or you know, take photos of flowers and butterflies and, and mm-hmm. things like that. To me, I needed to go through that process of yeah. not really writing much at all. I, and I wrote poems. I did a lot of, you know, just just poems. They're not award-winning poems, but they're my poems, you know. They're, they're things that I spent sometimes weeks on. I wrote some short stories for children's magazines and things like that, which mm-hmm. a few, one of them's been published. Or I think it's a poem that got published. But it was all about play. It was, it was yeah. about reconnecting with creative money through play and then seeing where that goes. And as I did that more, I was also doing the, the Artist's Way course. Okay. led by Julia Cameron. And that was a good complimentary activity to do for so having the reading and writing these morning pages and really just exploring what creativity meant to me and mm. I think Building myself back up into being allowed to be creative, yeah, to allow to nurture that creative self and not feel like you know I was doing it, I'm just doing it for myself right now.
0: Yeah, well, that looking at the outcome all the time, and I think one thing you'd talked about, and we may have talked about it a little before on the other podcast, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes I don't know if it's a, a female thing. But we especially, it's definitely more of a masculine thing. We downplay the amount that physicality can Mm. take away from our feeling of creative energy. Mm. So Mm. when I talk with writers about dismantling or unlocking writer's block is what I call it, because writer's block isn't a thing, but there are things that lead you to feel like you're blocked Mm. and physical, the body is one of them. So Mm. I always laugh not at anyone, but when women are maybe pregnant and they're Mm. like, oh, I've got it all planned out. This is how it's going to go. I'll just get this written while I'm pregnant. And then once I have the baby, they'll be sleeping a lot. So I'll just like knock out the edit. And here's the truth. All of that could happen. And also pregnancy (laughs) and birth and then keeping a newborn alive is a lot, right? Or you have COVID or the (laughs) flu or a chronic illness. Right. Mm. That, that maybe is invisible to others outside of you. And therefore you also sort of diminish its impact on your creativity. So what mm. I love to see that you worked through eventually it, I mean, it always breaks my heart to think of a writer in pain. Right. Mm. But eventually you moved to that place where you thought, I'm so frustrated. You, you teased out what I would say is like the, Uh, three-year-old or four-year-old asking why, why, why Mm -hmm. those. And and it's really important. Sometimes it can seem something that we don't want to do in this very positive, like toxic positivity world where don't look at the bad stuff. You know, you've got to what you focus yeah. on grows, but also if you don't address it, this is another thing that happens yeah. on the internal editor level. Yeah. If you don't get it out of your brain, oh, it's still in there. Yeah, you exactly. cannot fully make it be quiet <laughs> because it's part of you. So yeah. getting it out either, well, I also recommend tapping And then ending always a loop of several negative sounding things on I deeply and completely love and accept myself, even Mm -hmm. if this is the last book that I ever write, even if that was a fluke and I will never have inspiration again, because what we need to do like a a kettle boiling Mm -hmm. is really let some of the energy out of it. And then you moved on to play. Which I love hearing that word because Mm -hmm. we all have a different idea of what feels like fun and play. And you explored yours. Now, I would give you more credit for all of the writing that you did do. Credit isn't given just because something gets published. Mm. Credit is sort of, did I start with an intention of doing something and I and I got there? So if Mm. my intention was to get some words on a page and you got some words on a page, did I come up with something that feels like a poem? And Mm. poetry is beautiful for having, in some ways, a lot of restriction, like this is how haiku works. It has to be exactly like this. Or... Not much, right? And the, the power of spoken word poetry is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, song is poem. So I love the idea. I've never played that, but I would love to play with blackout poetry, taking a book. Yeah. And just see. What happens, giving yourself permission to write things that don't go anywhere, Mm -hmm. or as you said, are not award-winning, we don't need to win awards, what we do need, and Mm -hmm. the only thing you can do to move Mm -hmm. past it is what you did, which is to find a a way to take some of the pressure off Mm -hmm. and give yourself a little bit of joy about it, because it's all about connection and and expression. Mm -hmm. It's funny to me, too, that if you come from this journalism background, which is, yes, you start with facts and all of it. So on the one hand, it's given you all these skills you can use. But on the Mm -hmm. other hand, because of the way that we put journalism in a box. If you're not meeting those certain goals, see journalism, you do have to meet these goals. This is what's expected. And we have these deadlines and blah, blah, blah. Creative writing isn't like that. So what do you think? And this is probably the most important part of maybe the conversation that we're having today, hopefully for you personally, but also for those listening, which is when you feel like you've lost it, and then you went through a much longer period of feeling like effort, 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 no result not feeling connected. And then you gave yourself permission to play. And now are you working on something that you are having this? It's still a dance. Mm. I would always assume with a writer, it's always a dance. There's still going to be doubt. It doesn't matter how many novels you write. Yeah, You might get to the next one and think, was that it? Has everything dried up now? Was that (laughs) my last idea and everything else is going to be derivative? I mean... Hey, so tell me a little bit about where you're at now after that process that you went through.
1: I think I'm in a place where I was able to reconnect with that joy again, Mm -hmm. which
0: was so
1: much needed. I feel like I'm still trying to carve out space for myself without Mm -hmm. feeling guilty about having that space. And that's a work in progress. But I am working on a manuscript that is very different to the first two I think that's the kind of writing I do you know I describe yeah. my reading as being like a licorice sort, and so I'll read lots of different things and when I, I write I want to write what I'm feeling and the story I want to write not just be stuck to one genre if this is historical fiction. It's going to test me and we'll see how I go with it. It's based on a, a story that, a, a true story, but I've now taken that true story and given it a new character, given, you know, this, taken aspects of it that I'm really enjoying exploring where this character is going. She's um, a young girl who got lost in the bush for 21 days and then found, and when she's found, her mother's nowhere to be. They don't know where the mother is. And she has no one else. So she ends up in a waxworks and she is exhibiting um, and telling her story of how she was lost in the bush for 21 days without any food.
0: And that's that's the story that I'm exploring. Wow. Well, I can see why it piqued your interest. Yeah. I love hearing too how you describe it as wanting to write what you feel. Yeah. And there's a big difference between saying writing what I think would be good right now or writing Mm -hmm. that just feels very external. And if part of your challenge challenge is a struggle with every writer I know, might have a struggle with that external validation before they move forward, getting back to the basics of it, which is just something really sort of sparked my curiosity about this. And then like with historical fiction, or you know what, I mean, most fiction, even if you're not basing it off of anything, you're not drawing it back to Mm -hmm. something specific, it's based on a reaction we might have had, and then playing it out in the different ways that we can see play being an operative word there. Because if you aren't having, and I use the word fun, and we know fun can be Mm -hmm. different. But if you're not having fun writing it, Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to have as much fun or get pulled in as much reading it. And I told you, for me, with Wildflower, so everybody go out there, Get the newest version of wildflower. I absolutely got pulled in so much so that I felt out of balance when Mm. I stopped reading and had to get to doing like the normal day to day. Yeah. And wife and, you know, daughter and whatever stuff. (laughs) Right. So it's like, wait a minute. I was just back in the seventies. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's happening here in 2023. Well, I'm really excited. Do you have now that you've got back to it and you're, having this. And again, I would say it's a daily practice Mm -hmm. of knowing I'm going to sit down and let me see how I feel when Mm -hmm. I'm sitting down, knowing sometimes you're still maybe going to sit down and the cursor will be blinking and whatever, but you've got Julia Cameron's course sort of under your belt. So you've got different tools you can use to, to get yourself out of it. I always say, if you sit down and you're bored or you don't know what to write, or you don't want to write, you can try writing. Mm -hmm. And then if it really doesn't work for you, get up and do something else. I mean, come back later. It'll happen. Eventually, that's right. Is there, do you have this one on the timeline or are you allowing yourself the space to just see how the project progresses? So there's no deadline for it. So I can,
1: I can take as long as I take, which, you know, it, it works. I, I. Tend to have to save my writing for weekends, yeah. and you know weekends are also for grocery shopping and yeah. <laughs> sort of life things have to happen on the weekend, catching up with family, and so I that, that's a struggle that that I I have is to to carve out the time that I need, but it's. Yeah, I think it, it will take, it won't be done by the end of this year, I don't think. But I, I hope it'll be done sometime next year. But we'll see how it goes. Well, this you know, this the makes end. me
0: ask, do yeah. you edit as you go? Or do you give yourself permission to run run to the end and no, then I'm edit? I'm a total editor as I go. Okay. Well, but that <laughs> might have a I'm real not, impact. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. on how long it takes. So for example, if you practiced, I would still always recommend giving it a go if you can to race to the end. Mm. Because as you sort of described with your experience with Wildflower, Mm. even transitioning from a short story into a full length novel, and then a whole other point of view coming in, there are some ways you may save yourself some time. But I always just come up with the example. Imagine A paragraph that you slaved over and made it perfect. And then it got cut all together. Like I would, I know it will have happened. But again, it's sort of we don't fix things that don't feel broken. So as long as you're in a space where you're doing that beautiful dance with your creativity, Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing you brought up is carving out that time. So as a woman, mother, wife, sister, friend, child, it's so important. But especially Mm -hmm. for women to really do that, to put yourself on the schedule. I have a feeling that once your work hits a sort of watershed moment, Mm. sort of similar to how I felt, you're going to feel so off kilter walking around the normal world yeah, because part of you is going to be living in this other world that you're drawing with this incredibly interesting character, Mm. right? Talking about how she survived for 21 days. Mm. in the bush with no food that we know of yeah that you you will find ways to be drawing that out. For anyone listening, my recommendation is always tell the people around you, like you can give yourself a time limit. Sometimes it can be hard because we think we don't know, but if you want to have a chunk of time, then you can say for the next four weeks, family, you know, partner, kids, whatever, and sort of organize it, especially for those of us who can't go away on an actual writer's retreat. Although mm-hmm. if you can get away for a weekend, staycations yeah. away from people, But I've heard of writers who go on those, but mostly what they do is relax. And that's not cheating. That's what you needed to do. But the biggest thing is actually saying to those outside of us, because what I've found the biggest difference between those who get that work done and don't, or those who get the work done eventually is because they've been holding it in or, and not in a bad way, we think people notice, or they know this is what I like to do. But honestly, if we don't say it, and if I don't put it on a calendar, for myself Mm -hmm. and remind myself and put it out there. No one remembers. And it's not because they don't value or prioritize me. It's just because we are all bombarded with like a billion and two things (laughs) at any given moment. And so sometimes that's a gift you can give to yourself as well. Just saying, I won't do it forever. Because I feel bad and I don't want to let anyone down, yeah. especially if we're big on the juggle, yeah. um, but saying, I want to take two weekends of the month or, and I'm only going to do this for two months, or I'm going to do it for three months or however mm-hmm. it looks mm-hmm. for you to find that balance between the guilt for being away from the day-to-day stuff that we know needs to be done mm-hmm. at some point. I mean, yeah. laundry will eventually get done, <laughs> yeah. but there's guilt that goes with not honoring that creative side as yeah, well right. yeah. and so not always putting it last you had some great scenes in wildflower as well where we they were talking about and you're sort of exploring this idea of our expectations mm. of the others in our life and some things were really easy to see as being way out of line or very mm. off balance and others especially with james Barb, mm-hmm. showed How there's more nuance to it. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to live in a perfect world to mostly get what we want and need to get done. So, giving yourself that gift, any writers or emerging authors who are listening, that you may have learned it before, but we all need reminding again that we may have slipped in our prioritizing our own creative whatever and feeding ourselves with the things we need, like feeding yourself play for all of those months. Definitely. And hopefully keeping the tap open on that play, even while you're writing a project. So, do you do some of those things still? Julia counted the three, the morning pages. I think it's three pages, but it's the
1: morning, the morning pages. I am going to confess I have not been as good with lately. And I think I saw Natasha Lester mention her experience with morning pages recently. She had said that she chose to do them. Right before she started writing. And I feel like that might be a good thing for me to start trying to do rather than in my morning before work trying to exercise, put away the dishes that my husband has washed the night before and, you know, prepare all the things I need to prepare and then get up. The door and get to work. And you know, I'm lucky if I can sit down for 15 minutes at the computer and then I put two words into my manuscript. That's what I try to do in the mornings. To add that extra half an hour of morning pages as well does mean getting up early. And I'm also self-aware enough to know that I don't write well at night because I think too much. And I also don't if, if I don't go to sleep very easily. So getting up too early doesn't work for me as well. So I do get up, you know, say six. That maybe making that five thirty when I've already had a very, you know, a not very <laughs> yes. sleep. I'm I'm aware of what my my capabilities, my limits are. Yeah. So I think that moving the morning pages, as Natasha suggested, to especially those moments where you do you just have that blinking cursor and just go, okay, yeah. grab the notepad, write three pages of whatever, get all the the rubbish out of your head. Yes. I think that's what I want to start to try to do now. But re- relating to other play, I mean, I cook a lot. I I just love to sometimes just sit and watch the birds flying around in the garden. And then I get the camera and I'll take photos of these beautiful birds. You know, they're yeah. jumping in and out of the, the bird bath and I get a lot of joy from that. Yeah. And so it, it makes me feel like that, that little girl inside me again. And yeah, I will always continue to do that. You know, you know, I'm really down if I'm not doing that at all. So yeah,
0: well, I think <laughs> you know, too. Yeah. Because of the characters, if you find yourself often really engaging with the voice of a younger character, making Mm -hmm. sure that you are doing things all the time that align with that little girl inside of you, Mm -hmm. right? That's maybe too what can keep the dialogue and the, the thinking and the way that thoughts twist and change and grow throughout a story Mm -hmm. because you are very much in touch with her, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're taking these photos or just delighting in what's happening. I think that's beautiful. And the idea, I love hearing you say, you know what your personal, we'll call them preferences are. And setting yourself up for success looks like knowing how you naturally do things Mm -hmm. And where there's wiggle room and where there might be an idea you learn of something or it's something you already know how to do with morning pages. And you think, what if I change the way I'm using those in this other place? So that I feel like, yes, tick, I did a thing I'm should to be doing. Yeah. Because we're still going to get drawn into those, but you're doing it in a way that's actually helpful to yes. you rather than simply being another thing. Yes, yeah, another job. Failed at doing, yes. right? Or I didn't do it the right way. There's no right yeah. way. Yeah, I And mean, this is... <laughs> This is, if it's super painful, you shouldn't be doing it. And I hear you on the early, I mean, twice a week, I have to get up at six and that is tough (laughs) because, (laughs) because I like to stay, stay up late. So I'm not as fresh in the morning. I like you can manufacture it, but it's probably not my natural state, but Mm -hmm. finding the wiggle room and also accepting when circumstances have changed your mm. life yeah. and this is the way you have to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us again Monique. I'm super excited to be celebrating the relaunch of Wildflower and remind me the other title it's Wherever You Go. Wherever You Go mm-hmm. coming out on the 19th Wildflower comes out on the, uh, the, the 10th. August. Okay, august so 10th of august and the 19th of october oh, God, that's right amazing well we'll see if we can't get you on the podcast again maybe with another panel might yeah, be fun and yeah, we'll see be yeah we'll see where you're yeah. up to on your current project then so you can update yeah. us and we're, we're all like pulling for you
1: sounds great thank you that's so great. much for having me a great conversation i've, I've got so much to think about now well. <laughs> oh,
0: good. always wonderful oh <laughs> yeah. good thanks monique Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writers' process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.